you're wondering what that is, aren't you? Good. Hang around. You're going to find out shortly. I'm Steve Shepard, and this is the Natural Curiosity Project. A few years ago, a friend of mine turned me on to an author that I'd never heard of, a guy named Ivan Doig. Doig, who passed in 2015, was a third-generation Montana native who grew up along the Rocky Mountain Front Range. He worked as a ranch hand, newspaper man, magazine editor, and he had undergrad and graduate degrees in journalism and a doctorate in history. His work is outstanding, and if you haven't read it, you should. Start with Last Bus to Wisdom. That's just my opinion. And then move on to English Creek, and then This House of Sky. I mean, heck, read them all. You'll be glad you did. Anyway, I finished Last Bus to Wisdom, and then I went off on my typical rabbit hole journey to find out more about this amazing guy. It took me first to Montana State University, where I discovered his archive, where I read as much about him as I could. And in the process, I learned that there's a sound archive dedicated to him also at Montana State called the Acoustic Atlas. You know, I don't normally recommend that you stop my podcast and go listen to something else, but this time I'm going to make an exception. If you can, pause the program for a moment. I mean, come back, please. But pause the program, go to a computer, and visit AcousticAtlas.org. Just be sure you tie a string to your mouse before you enter the site, because you're going to be gone for days. It's that good. Go ahead. I'll wait. Pack a lunch. Okay, I know that most of you didn't do what I just suggested, and that's okay. But please, when you're done, make the time to visit the Acoustic Atlas. It is a treasure. Anyway, you know how much I like listening to the sounds of the natural world. Well, as I wandered from track to track, becoming increasingly lost in what the atlas contained, I noticed that a substantial percentage of the tracks were recorded by the same person, a guy named Jeff Rice. And I also noticed that he was a big contributor to the track collection that's affiliated with Ivan Doig. Well, you know me. Email goes out, email comes back, questions are sent. And a couple of weeks later... I have the honor of hosting Jeff on the podcast. Here's our conversation. Uh, you wear a lot of hats. Who are you? I guess the short answer is I'm a nature sound recordist living in Seattle. I'm also an editor, and I work on environmental conservation of Puget Sound. And my background is music and journalism uh, with an intense interest in the natural world, which kind of fits with your, the title of your podcast, Natural Curiosity. So I'm kind of curious, where did your interest in the field actually begin? I mean, did it start in childhood as it does for a lot of people? It's funny. It was just kind of organic, but I mean, it makes perfect sense to me, right? But I think it was just, I had a wide range of interests and uh, I was always, as I said, interested in, in music and was kind of coming at it from uh, electronic music perspective. And even in high school, I was, you know, really interested in that that whole genre and but i didn't really start studying music until later and i started out as a, as a journalist you know that was just a practical way to look at the world and i really enjoyed writing and all that that entailed and you know i i was doing that i went to graduate school in journalism and eventually got a, some jobs in, in in journalism and i was doing a lot of radio um in that in the process and i started to get uh, almost more interested in 
the sounds that I was recording, you know, as opposed to like the interviews that I was doing with people, I was just, I was, you know, out interviewing a border patrol agent or something uh, in Arizona and then there'd be a cactus wren in the background and I'd be like, Oh, what's that? You know? And, you know, of course I'm still trying to do my job, but I realized I had a real, a real interest in, in those sounds. And it was sort of always something that I came back to. And I, so I eventually went back to school went to, got an MFA from Mills College in electronic music and started looking at ways that I could be a recording engineer and, you know, combine all of those different things. I don't understand this, but I am fascinated by the fact that, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people on this program who started out as journalists and then became wildlife sound recordists. One of the things I learned as I got into this was that it's a little different from what I thought it was. It's funny because, you know, I do, I talk about how I was interested in music and and so forth, but I'm not in this for the aesthetics of it <laughs> as much as what the, at the as the stories and the things that I learned from natural sound. I mean, it's beautiful. All of the sounds are incredibly beautiful, and I and I have grown to you know try to make better recordings and capture that beauty. But I'm not always trying to get a beautiful soundscape that people can listen to with the massage therapists. Uh, you know, I, I I like that stuff, but. But I'm, I also record things that people might not consider to be beautiful, you know, raspy sounds and difficult sounds and, and, you know, the whole variety that I get out there. So, Yeah, I get that. I'm often puzzled by the fact that I get really angry if I'm out recording and somebody fires up a motorcycle or a chainsaw, but I'll go an hour out of my way to stand at the railroad tracks and record a freight train going by. So, Jeff, I learned about you because I ran across the Acoustic Atlas, where you play a, a pretty major role. We're going to get into what it contains in a minute, but can you tell me, how did it get started? I mean, where did the idea actually come from? I first started recording sounds as part of radio pieces, you know, but then um, as I got more into it, I started to realize that, you know, recordings of the natural world were kind of rare. A lot of things hadn't been recorded. Um, This was, you know, 20 plus years ago, and we're still kind of in the same situation, but there were, you know, there were just all of these things that I wanted to record and that hadn't been. And so I came up with the idea of, of creating an archive of sounds, especially of the Western United States. And so I was able to get a grant and work with the University of Utah to uh, create an archive um, at their library there of natural sounds of the Western United States. And, and it was just a great opportunity to go all over the place and, and make all these recordings that weren't necessarily available to people. And so a lot of what I do is archive the sounds, but I also like to tell stories or do museum uh, exhibits, uh, sound installations, things like that. I'm doing quite a lot of that lately. I use all parts of the sound. I'm just, you know, I like, there's so many different ways you can use the sounds. And so I'm just interested in exploring whatever I can. Right now I'm working with Montana State University and we've created the Acoustic Atlas, which is a kind of a growth out of that earlier work. And I co-founded that with Kenning Arlich, who was the dean of the library there. So, you know, we started archiving those sounds, and that's been going on since about 2013. Folks, as I mentioned earlier, you can find the atlas at acousticatlas.org. So, Jeff, what is it exactly? It's a collection of sounds, not just my sounds, but sounds from lots of different people. I've worked with Kevin Culver, who is the author of the Stokesfield Guide to Bird Songs from the Western region, a um, great sound recordist. Um, and he generously let us use a lot of his bird sounds. Um, so we have a great collection of, you know, Western birds. 
and then there's you know sounds from the National Park Service up there, uh, and there's also you know a lot of recordings that I've made, thousands, uh, you know, all all together on there, um, and it's all free. I mean, it's free to listen to. It's it's online. Uh, it's kind of unique because it focuses on the Western United States and Montana. I mean, there's some great archives out there. Cornell, of course, you know, and the BBC and, 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 and lots of these fabulous sound archives, but we're focused mostly on the Western United States. So that's a little different from, from other places. Maybe, maybe other places are focused worldwide. And I just saying it's a little different in terms of, of focus is all. And so I was very interested in, in the sounds of places, you know, every place sounds a little different. So that was kind of why we called it an atlas, you know, it's a, it's a record of places really. And, and because species sound different in different places, you know, they even have dialects and there's so many different reasons why just cause you made a recording of one bird, you know, in some, some place doesn't mean that you can't make more recordings and that you won't learn something by recording somewhere else. So that was the kind of the idea behind it was a you know a place to put sound recordings and a place to focus on the Western United States and also a place to put recordings that hadn't necessarily been made a lot. Um, I haven't been doing as much lately, but when I started out, I was really interested in trying to find species where there were very few uh, available recordings. You know, and you'd be surprised the mammals, especially, not a whole lot of recordings even of common mammals like otters and the list goes on but just things that you might not have heard before and then uh, you know speaking of this idea of place that gets to the Ivan Doig part of of the archive he was a writer who really focused on Montana and he he had an, a, a part of the world that has come sort of come to be known as Doig country you know uh central Montana where he lived and he wrote a lot about it and it's a really unique part of the world. And, and so one of the things that I tried to do was to record sounds of places that he described in his books, you know, and again, it's like sounds in places are unique, you know, they have every place has its own sound. So, you know, Doig was uh, also wrote a lot about sound in his books. And so it was fascinating to kind of follow him around. I have to stop us for just a second. One of my favorite tracks at the site is your recording of a Western meadowlark. This is one of the most beautiful bird songs I know. Folks, have a listen. That is gorgeous. Going back to our conversation, to your point, the place-oriented tracks at the Acoustic Atlas are great, especially those that center around Doig's work. In fact, I'm now listening to the podcast that you produced called The Wind from Eden for the third time. Folks, it's a collection of stories, many of them interviews with people who knew Ivan or his part of Montana. They're accented by natural sounds of the region, many of them provided by Jeff. So let me ask you this. Why is it important to pay attention to the sounds of the natural world? Every time you turn on a microphone, you learn something new. That's a good reason to do it just to begin with. You hear things in a different way and you're exposed to things that you might not have thought about. And when it comes to recording the environment, nature recordings are also a record 
of the health of an environment. They're, they're rec a record of what's there and what's changing. And, you know, another thing, one of the reasons that created this archive, the Acoustic Atlas, is to document sounds as they were at a particular time so that people can go back and compare make comparisons later, for example. And you'd be, you'd be surprised, you know, habitats that I've been recording, even in the short time that I've been a, a nature sound recorder, have disappeared. You know, there are places that I have recorded and, and I go back there and, and now there's a big box store on that same place. Probably one of the reasons that I got in, in, interested in nature sounds was as a, ch as a child, uh, I grew up in, you know, Lake Stevens, Washington, and, and the Pacific chorus frogs were, would go nuts every year. And I just was fascinated by chorus frogs, you know, and, and we would go out and, and they were, there was this place off in, you know, in the distance that seemed like it was a giant jungle to me. You know, it was, it was probably just somebody's backyard. I don't know, but it was, is the seething sound of chorus frogs. So it always stayed with me. And uh, I always kind of wanted to get back and in, in touch with that. You know, that's probably why I'm recordist. And then later, you know, I went back to where I heard those sounds when I was a kid and all of that's gone, you know, it literally has been paved over. So it's happening fast and you, and, and you need to, you know, pay attention to the sounds and, and appreciate them. And it's not, it's not all doom and gloom, you know, I mean, I, I think it's important for people to appreciate the beauty of it and to know that, that you can engage with it out there and that there are beautiful sounds. And so the sounds are an indication of the health of the environment. So if you're, if you're losing uh, species, you're losing sounds, if you're losing habitat, you're losing sounds. And so, you know, that's a, one way to understand that, that loss, but, but it's also a way to recognize and appreciate those places through the sounds and, you know, and it makes you want to preserve those places and protect them for future generations. And that's right. I mean, I, I don't look forward to a day when kids have to ask their grandparents what a Pacific tree frog sounded like, you know? So let me ask you this. There's a lot of discussion in sound circles these days about the nature of noise and whether human-created sounds are just part of nature or are legitimately trash, if you will. What are your thoughts? I think noise is a really interesting point to talk about because, again, noise is a symptom of habitat loss, you know, and, and so forth. We can fix noise problems, you know, it's like, it's, it's not like a persistent contaminant or something in, in the water, you know, like you can, you can turn off those sounds and make the cars quieter and, you know, the boats quieter for the, for the orcas and things like that. There are things that can be done. Sometimes when I talk about noise and recordings, I feel like that guy that, you know, says, get off my lawn or stop making so much noise. But it's, you know, it's not really just about like, oh, you messed up my recording or anything. It's, it's, a, it's a serious issue for, for the environment and, and it's a, a serious concern. That's one of the things that I also like to do on the Acoustic Atlas is present recordings as they were actually recorded, not necessarily filtered and cleaned up and made pristine and beautiful, but you're hearing the actual recording that we made out there. So there's gonna be a car coming by, um, you're going to get an accurate picture of what the environment was like if you go to the Acoustic Atlas. And sometimes people might criticize us for that because they'd be like, well, you've got to cut those cars out or you, gotta, you don't want to have that, that noise in there. But it's really what, what we're trying to do is document places. And that's part of the environment. Of course, 
you know, one of the things that you also want to try to do as a nature recordist is to get away from the noise. And that's a real challenge. And I'm not saying like, I don't appreciate beautiful recordings without trucks in them, but just saying that's part of it. Yeah, it is part of it. And to your earlier point, human created sounds are becoming increasingly hard to get away from. I sometimes have this weird philosophical argument with myself about whether we're actually doing ourselves and the planet a disservice when we go trekking out into the middle of nowhere to create these pristine soundtracks that are free of all human noise. I mean, as you said a little while ago, they're fine for relaxing when you're at the massage therapist, but they also send a message that says, well, heck, it must be easy to capture wildlife sounds without human noise, when in fact most recordists will tell you that they have to record somewhere between 40 and 60 hours of material to get a half hour of usable nature-only sound? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's a good question. And you know, a lot of times that, the idea of what a nature recording is is sort of a, you know, a fiction. Going back to those massage therapist records that from the 70s or whatever, you know, I mean, yes, those sounds do exist, but really there's a lot of processing that went into making those perfect recordings and filtering and editing and all kinds of things. And I consider myself an artist, and so I don't have a problem with creating a piece of art. But I think you should tell people if you did edit it and if it is, you know, a piece of art as opposed to a document. That's one of the things that, you know, on the Acoustic Atlas, those are typically documents of places. And then maybe if I'm doing a, a museum exhibit, well, it doesn't serve the exhibit very well to have a truck coming through, you know, doesn't help if you're trying to give people the experience of being in a, uh, an Aspen forest or something. And so maybe you do cut those out and, you know, that's, you're serving a different purpose there. Jeff, let me, let me shift gears on you for a minute. Tell me about a day in the life of Jeff Rice, <laughs> wildlife sound recordist. What's a typical day like? It really depends, but almost inevitably it involves getting up ridiculously early in the morning. <laughs> uh, as you know, I'm sure if you're trying to get, you know, a great soundscape of birds, something you're going to have to get there at first light because they, there's a, there's a rhythm to it. But I've, I've found that I can record different things any, you know, at all times of the day. So boy, you know, there's, I don't know if there's a typical day in the life, but I typically target a species, for example, like I wanted to get the sound of bison in the prairie and I wanted to get close to them and I wanted to get a surround sound recording of bison, you know, and so how do you do that? Well, you need to get an expert to help you get close to the bison because I, I don't, first of all, I don't even know how I would get close to them and then, uh, you know, those are pretty big beasts and, you know, I don't want to get gored. So you find somebody that can guide you to, to that place and they have some expertise and, and, you know, and then you got to take some risks. I remember like getting the, uh, the bison recording. I had a ambisonic 360 degree microphone that I wanted to get. And that means I wanted to get those bison all the way around it, you know, and I just had to set it up and hope they were going to come there. And I was just thinking, all right, you know, the, it's, this could, could get stomped, you know, like this could be a disaster, but if, if it doesn't get stomped, it, then it could be great, you know? And so you got to take risks sometimes, even with thousand dollar, you know, multi-thousand dollar uh, microphones.
first times I went out recording was I, I thought I'm going to really get the experience of recording, you know? And so I sat there next to the microphone and this is exactly what the microphone's hearing. And I'm hearing it with my own ears, you know, and of course I'm not going to get anything good. You know, no birds are going to come close. So I quickly learned like, no, you need to get away from the microphone and let the, let the animals come to you and you'll get good stuff. Okay, the time has come, folks. Remember that strange sound I started this program with? Well, you're about to learn what it was. Jeff, tell us about Pando. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a little bit about Pando for background. So for a long time, people thought Pando was was the largest organism in the world. And there's some debate about that. Like it was now there's a fungal mat in uh, Oregon that may be larger in terms of area, but you know, Pando, I guess, looks like an aspen forest, but it's made up of a single seed. um, And all those trees are actually branches coming off of a single root system. And so this this grove that looks like an entire forest is really just one organism, um, genetically the same. So I had a chance to record this and, you know, who wouldn't want to try to record the world's, you know, one of the world's largest organisms. It's also like the world's largest tree, if you want to, you know, go at it from that angle. Um, and I, I sometimes think of it as like one of the world's largest sounds, you know, <laughs> what does that even mean? You know, like to record the, the world's largest organism, you know, how do you even approach that? Um, so I just started to record it from as many angles as I could, you know, you, you know, recording the birds and the leaves of the tree and, recording the sound of the bark and the species like foxes that live there and and also recording underground recording the sound of microphone connected to the root system beneath the tree branches and got some incredible hydrophone recordings of the vibrations of the tree when the wind blows the whole tree vibrates you know the leaves vibrate and and it goes all the way through the branch down into the ground and essentially you know you get this uh, drone sound, of, which is this really the sound of the earth vibrating when the when the wind comes through. I presented the sounds of Pando at the Acoustical Society uh, conference. And the word Pando is Latin for I spread. Somebody gave it that name. And, and basically that's that name just means it's really big, spread out over 106 acres. It's just a, it's just a, a fascinating place. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Folks, Jeff Rice, sound recordist, journalist, documentarian. You can find his work at ecosystemsound.com or acousticatlas.org. The podcast I mentioned earlier is available on the Apple Podcast platform or wherever you get your podcast, and it's called The Wind from Eden. And please do yourselves a favor. Go find a book by Ivan Doeg and read it. You will thank me later. I leave you with Jeff's recording of Pacific Chorus Frogs. Thank you for listening.
Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.